and welcome to Light on Light Through, episode 56. And this is a special compilation episode in which I am going to play for you each and every one of my reviews of season six of 24. Now, there won't be 24 different reviews because there were at least two or three times in season six of 24 in which there were double episodes, and I did one review for the double episodes. So I don't know exactly how many reviews you'll hear, but probably, I don't know, 20, 21 reviews. And in addition to that as a special extra, I just did a review of Redemption, which was shown in November 2008. This is a two-hour movie uh, of 24. And all of this, of course, I hope is good preparation for Season 7 of 24, which will be beginning on January 11th, 2009. So if you want to catch up, recollect, get back in touch with what you were thinking when you saw 24, that was way back in 2007 when you last saw 24 Season 6. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, I have to say, back in 2007, I was using a microphone that wasn't quite as good as this one, so you may hear like a little static or distortion here and there, but hey, that's part of the charm of podcasting, isn't it? So without further ado, here are my reviews directly from Levinson News Clips. Each of these reviews was actually done a few minutes, not really more than an hour, after the end of each broadcast of the episode of Season 6 in 24. So enjoy. The Light on Light Through podcast. Author Paul Levinson. Hi, I'm Paul Levinson. This is Levinson News Clips. And this is a review of the first two hours of the new season of 24. That's season six. And I'm going to do a review after each hour or two-hour uh, presentation of 24. So this will be uh, an ongoing series of reviews. Uh, I'm going to watch the show in real time on Fox TV, even though it is available in various places online. And then I will uh, post a review within roughly 60 minutes. Well, to begin with, I don't think any beginning uh, could be as good as last year's 24 opener, in which President David Palmer and Michelle were killed. This season's beginning didn't quite have that punch, but it made up for it with excellent characterization of Jack, released from two years of torture in a Chinese prison. We've seen Jack coming back from the dead before, from heroin addiction, the loss of his wife, and equally traumatic interludes. But this resurrection was handled with more subtlety than usual. Jack's feeling that he just can't do it anymore, just can't operate as an effective CTU agent, is just brewing below the surface. We see glints of it here and there in a way that doesn't quite impair Jack's capacity to save the hour. And there are some powerful twists uh, in this uh, opener, this two-hour opener. David Palmer's brother Wayne is now president. Buchanan and Karen are married. 
and the terrorist our government is after is really trying to bring peace. I liked all of that. One aspect I wasn't too thrilled with, though, the Arab family next door in the suburbs who may or may not be terrorists, we've seen that plenty of times before, including on 24. But it was a superb two-hour start nonetheless, and I would rate it as, at very least, a close second to last year's, in some ways even better, because of its replacement of some of the punches in the stomach with subtlety. And because of that, I would say it was in some ways even as good as last year's opener of 24. And that's high praise in my book because I consider 24 to be one of the best shows now and to ever have been on television. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Hello, this is David G. Hartwell. I'm a senior editor at Tor and Forge Books in New York. I've been editing science fiction since 1970. I've edited a lot of people over the course of my career, but I'm pleased to also be the editor of Paul Levinson. I edited his first novel, The Silk Code, and I edited his most recent novel, The Plot Save Socrates, and all the books in between. Author Paul Levinson. Hey, I'm Paul Levinson. This is Levinson News Clips. And as I threatened to do yesterday, I'm continuing with my ongoing review of the new season of 24, which I'll be watching in real time and then posting a review of within 60 minutes or so of the show's completion. I'm a little later than usual tonight because I got distracted watching the end of the Golden Globes. By the way, expect spoilers in these reviews. Well, I was talking about punches in the stomach last night, and 24 delivered two of them tonight in the last five minutes of Hour 4. Jack killed Curtis to prevent him from killing Assad, who is cooperating, and a nuclear bomb finally went off in Los Angeles. We saw the mushroom cloud and all. Now, we've seen Jack kill a good guy before on behalf of a greater cause, but Curtis was more than a good guy. He was Jack's brother in arms. And the fact that this happened so early in the day, rather than near or at the end, suggests that this will by no means be the worst ethical quandary Jack will find himself in this season. So 24 continues to ply that seemingly straightforward, but always difficult and painful utilitarian principle that the good of the many must outweigh the good of the few. And then there's the atom bomb. Now, sooner or later, we had to see one actually explode in Los Angeles. Not that I don't love Los Angeles, but no storyline can continually threaten us with that and never follow through with it. Not if it wants to maintain its credibility. And 24 always has been, if nothing else, and by no means perfect in this respect, credible like no other show in television history, in following through with its implications and punches. I'm glad I have a week to catch my breath. Actually, no, I'm not. I'd watch the whole rest of the season right now, the full 24 hours, if I could. 
even though I said just a few seconds ago that I intended to watch the whole series in real time. Well, that's what 24 does. I'll see you here next time, same time next week. Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says... Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Author Paul Levinson. Hi, I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing with my reviews of 24 Season 6, as close as I can make it to within 24 minutes of the end of the episode. And this contains spoilers. Whew. Talk about raising the ante. Last season on 24, we saw Jack deal with the President of the United States, who turned out to be one of the bad guys. Not the worst of the bad guys, but the President, President Logan was a conniving cooperator. Tonight, we find out the awful truth. The guy calling the shots for the bad guys last year, the guy who was running the President of the United States, Graham, played by Paul McCrane, turns out to be Graham Bauer, Jack's brother. And Jack's father may also be involved. Now, we don't yet know the full connection between Jack's evil brother, not evil twin because they don't look much alike, and the nuke in the L.A. suburbs. But it's obviously substantial. And tonight's episode featured some brief but provocative references to the death of Jack's wife, Terry, We saw that at the end of the first season of 24. That was when we really knew that 24 meant business and it wasn't going to pull any punches. And that was the last time that Jack and Graham saw each other at Terry's funeral. And tonight we also begin to get a glimpse into a part of Jack's life that we didn't know before. Jack's father, Philip, played by James Cromwell, will make his appearance next week. My only regret is that Donald Sutherland doesn't have the part. 
I'm sure there's a story there somewhere. But, you know, that's real life, and I'm enjoying this fiction far too much to worry about it. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. The Light on Light Through Podcast. Author Paul Levinson. Hi, I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. Well, the last five minutes of tonight's 24-hour six were prime, even priceless. Jack's father is introduced. He may be bad, but he's revealed as being duped by Jack's brother, as everyone else in the family is, except Jack, whose knowledge of the depth of his brother's evil is tantalizingly not clear at the moment. Jack seems to know something of what Graeme could be capable of, but he couldn't know that Graeme ordered David Palmer's assassination. No, Jack couldn't have known that and kept his composure tonight in this tense, fast family scene, bristling with possibilities. Unfortunately, that took only five minutes, the last five minutes of the show. As for the rest of the hour, the first 55 minutes, well, we've seen it all before and maybe even more believably than tonight. I don't think Karen would have allowed herself to be bullied out of her job by Tom's blackmail, not without calling Bill her husband first and working out all the available strategies. And the Walid in prison bit was, frankly, lame. It was not terribly believable in the first place that he would have been so fortunate that it's fortunate for us, for the good guys, to be locked up with terrorists responsible for the suitcase nukes. The revelation that the prisoners in question read about the visitors, the other nukes, on the web was a nice touch, but it wasn't good enough, I don't think, to justify the time we had to spend with them. Now, 24 has always been prone to such slow hours here and there. Start out strong, then take a little time to regroup. That's what they made watching the whole season on DVD for. A weak hour or two doesn't matter when you can go right on to the next one, rather than having to wait a whole week. But you know what? I'll survive. And although I'm sure Jack and his father will survive the presumed drive they're taking to their death, hey, didn't we see Jack in the coming attractions? I'll be eagerly awaiting and watching with rapt attention next week anyway. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Hey, if you'd like an autographed copy of any of my novels or any of my books, here's how you can get one. Just send me an email at levinson.paul at gmail.com. That's L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N dot P-A-U-L at gmail.com. And I'll reply with a link on Amazon that you can use to purchase whatever book of mine you like. And I'll also give you an address which you can give to Amazon and then have them send the book you purchase to me rather than you. And I'll be more than happy to personally autograph any copy of my novel or any of my nonfiction books that you send to me. I can autograph it to you or anyone that you specify. 
And again, this applies to all of my novels, The Plot to Save Socrates, The Silk Code, as well as all of my nonfiction books, ranging from the soft edge to cell phone. So if you have someone's birthday coming up, a graduation present, an anniversary, I'd be happy to autograph it to that person, or if you just want to treat yourself to a present, I'd be happy to autograph the book to you. And again, just write to me at levinson.paul at gmail.com. And as soon as I get the book from Amazon, I'll turn it right around with an autograph for you the day that I get it. So I look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Daniel Keyes, author of Flowers for Algernon, and you're listening to Paul Levinson. Author Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips, and I'm continuing tonight with my reviews of Season 6 of 24, within an hour after the end of the episode on television. Tonight, I'll be reviewing Episode 7. Well, talk about dysfunctional families. Jack's father apologizes tonight for not giving Jack a better family. And indeed, Jack's father should apologize because it turns out that Jack's father is the evil brain behind Brother Graham's assassination of David Palmer and Michelle and Tony last year and whatever connection this accursed father and son team have to the suitcase nukes and the seething dangers of the current season. And just to seal the bargain on Philip Bowers, that's Jack's father's consummate evil, he kills Graham at the end of tonight's episode to keep him from talking further. Graham hadn't quite passed muster. Under Jack's mounting torture, Graham had not spoken a word about their father. But he did reveal to Jack that he, Graham, had killed David Palmer and Michelle and Tony, as well as tried to kill Jack, too. While we're on the subject of torture, I think it's worth noting that in tonight's episode, the CTU team working under Jack refused to administer a likely lethal dose of drugs to Graham, as Jack was directing them to do. So I guess 24 does not always glorify the use of torture. I hope Keith Oberman was watching. I was a little suspicious of Jack's father. He and Jack got the drop on the bad guys who were trying to kill them earlier in the show a little too easily. There are clearly things about this family that we've yet to know. Meanwhile, McCarthy getting Morris out of CTU to help Fyad trigger the remaining bombs was a nice piece of work. What will Fyad have over Morris to make him perform? Chloe at this point is still safe inside CTU. But as we know from previous seasons... That ain't exactly the safest place in the world. Next week, there'll be a double episode. Double Adrenaline. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy.
going to run out and buy a copy of this immediately. This combines uh, three things that uh, I love uh, that are part of my life. Uh, ancient history, uh, specifically ancient Greek history, time travel, uh, ancient manuscripts. So I, I, will be, uh, I, I will be immediately running down to uh, the local Barnes & Noble and picking up a copy of this. Author Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips, and I'm continuing with my reviews of 24, Season 6. Tonight, a two-hour special edition of 24, Hours 8 and 9. Well, the double dose of tonight's two-hour 24 picked up where Jack's father, Philip, left off last week and made him twice as bad. Killing Jack's brother, Graham, was one thing. Graham, after all, was part of the team that ordered the killings of David Palmer, Michelle, and Tony last year. But now, Philip Bauer is threatening to kill his own grandson, Jack's nephew. Unless it turns out that Josh Bauer is really Jack's son, which is just wild supposition at this point, But, you know, he does look a lot like Kip. And not only that, Philip Bauer is leading Jack to his death in a booby-trapped house. Jack, of course, avoids being blown up. And I also enjoyed the heroics of Milo Pressman, played by Eric Balfour. It's always fun to see a guy who works behind a computer take charge out in the field. Milo was great driving a van and saving Jack's sister-in-law. But the same cannot be said for Chloe's former husband, Morris O'Brien. This wasn't his finest evening. He broke under torture and gave Fayed what he needed to activate the remaining suitcase nukes. Not only not commendable, but not entirely believable. It's a little hard to swallow that Morris would give the terrorists the keys to the nukes, even under torture, especially after one of them already went off near L.A. But oddly, the depth of the evil of Jack's father is not that hard to believe. After all, Jack must have come from some sort of incredible family. Fortunately for us, The single-minded ruthlessness that Jack inherited is used by him for the good. And the USA will need every ounce of it in the weeks ahead, as forces of darkness converge not only on Los Angeles, but on President Wayne Palmer. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Hi, this is Cory Doctorow, author of Overclocked and other books. You're listening to Paul Levinson's author, Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my review of 24, Season 6. Tonight, Episode 10, A Civil Servant. That's what Jack's father, Philip, contemptuously calls Jack tonight as he stands over his son with a gun about to kill him. And then he's gone. Philip has disappeared 
Was this part of Philip's plan all along, or did Jack somehow manage to elicit a bit of humanity in his father, as Jack talked about how he never meant to turn his back on the family, how he had just needed to go his own way? Humanity seemed hard to find in Philip Bauer, who was about to kill his own grandson. It's hard to tell why Philip disappeared, at least at present. But what is clear is Kiefer Sutherland put in one of his best performances yet on the entire series. This family angle is bringing out the best in him as an actor, or at any rate, a lot better than what we got from him with Kim, his attractive but irritating daughter. I also like Josh's mother better than Audrey, but that's not saying all that much. Still, Marilyn Bauer has done a good job as Jack's sister-in-law, and if we can believe the exchange between Jack and her tonight, Josh is not Jack's son. Meanwhile, the action back east in the White House was also pretty good tonight, if predictable. I never believed that Tom Lennox would go along with the assassination of the president, however much he disagreed with him. But the scenes tonight were taut with tension around the White House anyway. And the second president, Palmer, seems in more danger now than ever. And speaking of presidents, we have Charles Logan, bearded and baiting Jack for something which we'll learn more about in Hour 11 next week as one of the worst days in the life of Jack Bauer, civil servant, continues. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Paul Levinson, Silk Code, about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries. Author Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my review of 24, Season 6. Tonight, Episode 11. Well, tonight was the night for presidents on 24. Charles Logan, glimpsed just briefly last week, emerged as a major player this week. Living under house arrest, the former Nixonian president looked better than he, or Nixon for that matter, ever did, with a beard and a calm we never saw before. That was likely because Logan didn't have that last year. He was pretty much of a nervous wreck throughout most of the season. He apparently has found religion, quoting from the Bible as he looks at himself in the mirror. And we can only hope that he sees God on his side for the good. Meanwhile, Wayne Palmer, whose brother, former President David Palmer, was killed at the beginning of last year in a plan to which then-President Logan acquiesced. He may have been a nervous wreck, but he did a lot of damage. But President Wayne Palmer is in grave danger himself now back in Washington. A bomb brought to the podium by Tom Lennox's assistant, and despite Lennox's attempt to stop it, blows up with President Wayne Palmer and former terrorist Assad in the room. Assad notices and calls out the bomb at the last minute. 
But did he and Palmer get out of harm's way in time? Coming attractions show Palmer alive and in bad condition. And Assad is anyone's guess. And speaking of guessing, who exactly is behind all of this? The Russian Gurdenko is running the Arab Fayad. That part is clear. But who exactly are the super patriots who are trying to kill Wayne Palmer? Are they in the same group as Jack's father, Philip, and Charles Logan? One thing is clear. There are a lot of bad guys around. And if none of them are as yet revealed as working inside CTU, we should at least be concerned that Chloe seems as distracted as Morris, leaving Bill Buchanan more shorthanded than ever. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my weekly reviews of 24 Season 6. Tonight, Episode 12. Well, no one can play a complex, badass bad guy as well as Powers Booth. He did it in Tombstone, he did it in Deadwood, and he did it tonight in 24. We saw Vice President Daniels briefly before. Now he assumes full command in Washington as Wayne Palmer, the president, is on the operating table for serious injuries received in last week's bomb blast. And Booth delivers Daniels with his customary blend of gravitas, facial expressions, and cool aplomb. I'm almost hoping he doesn't turn out to be an irredeemable bad guy in the end, but chances are looking slim for that tonight. Other notables on tonight's show are Carrie Matchett, fresh out of the water from ABC's invasion last year, and Peter McNichols as Tom Lennox, a brave patriot despite his wimpy style. And Jack, Jack, what are you doing getting yourself entwined in another hostile embassy again? Well, at least this time, Buchanan's on the case. And out to spring, Jack. We'll see what happens next week. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. The Light on Light Through Podcast. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my weekly reviews of 24, Season 6. Tonight, Episode 13. First... I got to mention something that really impressed me last week and now this week again. Did you see that Russian guy's mouth? 
Anatoly Markov, the Russian ambassador's frown, John Noble, who sometimes goes by the name of Nogle, and played the slimy Denethor in the last two Lord of the Rings movies, contributed a world-class grimace to the past few episodes of 24. I'll miss it. I'll miss Charles Logan, too. Even if he survives Martha's knife wound, he's not likely to be seen much longer on the show outside of intensive care. A tough season for presidents, current and former. But Powers Booth, as the VP acting as president, is in high, nearly snarling gear back in Washington. Now, it's still not completely clear just how bad he is. At very least, he's a hard-ass willing to risk war. And actually, that wouldn't be that bad given the peril the U.S. is in. But Vice President Daniels looks like he might also be behind the bomb that killed Assad and put Wayne Palmer in the hospital. And at very least, he's also leaning on Tom Lennox to lie to the Arab ambassador. Tom could use some help from Karen Hayes, who's due back at the White House pretty soon now. Back to Martha. What a performance. Jean Smart couldn't have played her tormented role any better. And it was great to see Aaron again, too. And last but not least for tonight, Ricky Schroeder coming on board at CTU is a good thing. He may have manhandled Morris and been none too friendly to Milo, but he reminds me of a younger Jack, and that's always good. Hey, did you see that Russian ambassador's mouth? How does he do that? I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left, again, into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my weekly reviews of 24, Season 6, tonight's episode 14. Well, 24 was firing on all cylinders tonight. I thought this was the best show of the season so far, and one which now puts Season 6 within striking distance of Season 5. Where should we begin? Powers Booth as VP Daniels was in great true form. 
No one's going to push him and what he says is right for the U.S. around. Certainly not Karen Hayes, who's now back in the White House. Not Tom Lennox either, who may or may not suspect what we may or may not know about Daniels. Was he involved in the bomb that killed Assad and put Wayne Palmer in a coma? Karen Hayes goes to the hospital to see if there is any way that Wayne Palmer can be revived in time to stop Daniels from hitting an Arab nation with a nuke. Wayne's sister, Sandra, is in the hospital, too. It looks as if she's now back in the picture as well. And things may even be more exciting back in California, if that's possible. Is Nadia really working for the bad guys? I don't believe it. Too easy. But if not Nadja, who? Miles? Didn't he take a bullet to save Jack's sister-in-law, Graham's wife? More about her below. If so, what is Miles? Some kind of suicidal spy? I don't believe that either. Well, then who? Morris was tortured for crying out loud. It can't be him. Well, then, it looks like we have a nice, tough mystery on our hands. Back to Jack. He almost kisses Marilyn, his sister-in-law. She wanted to. I would have kissed her. And then she tells him, Audrey's dead. Now, we've all seen these kinds of setups a hundred times before. She's not really dead. Audrey's being kept prisoner. I don't know. I'll be disappointed if this is how the Audrey is dead situation is resolved. It's not that I want her dead, but I think Jack would be happier with Marilyn. Personally, I've always found Audrey a little whiny. She may be better suited for the nine after all. So here's where we stand for next week. San Francisco was almost hit by a nuclear drone. Quick CTU work prevented that, but some nuclear material was still spilled. Not enough to hurt many people, Buchanan tells VP Daniels, but enough for Daniels to still want to proceed with his nuclear retaliation. So, Karen Hayes is in the hospital to somehow get Wayne to intercede. It may cost him his life. The doc says it's life-threatening to wake him. And Jack, of course, will stop at nothing to find out who killed Audrey in China. I, I assume the killers were Chinese. If she really was killed, and she really is dead. And we may even see William Devane, Audrey's father and former Secretary of Defense, back in the action again. But with all of this exciting stuff, I still find myself most interested in who is the spy at CTU. If not Nadja or Miles or Morris, then who? Buchanan? Impossible. Curtis? Sorry, that was a low blow. But it shows how desperate I am. Maybe Chloe? No, as impossible as Buchanan. Then who? Your guess is as good as mine. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Hi, Paul. This is Diana from Fire of Spring. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my weekly reviews of 24, Season 6, 
tonight, hour 15. And a very fine hour of 24 it was tonight, with at least three themes, each handled with style and originality. First, Jack meets Rain Man. Now I knew it. As I said last week, none of the main characters at CTU was the mole. Each had a very convincing alibi. It turns out the breach, as one of my readers suggested, was from someone outside of CTU who was hacking in. The drone pilot had a chip that allowed the terrorists to use Nadia's computer. And this wasn't the only hacking going on tonight. An impaired autistic Rain Man type character is being used by his brother to get the blueprints for a nuclear plant to give to Gridenko. Drawing on a rarely displayed sensitivity, Jack is able to gently but effectively get Rain Man to get Gridenko. It was one of the more interesting offbeat sequences we've yet seen on 24. Second, Ricky is good. Now, I had a feeling about this, too. Why put all that energy introducing Mike Doyle, played by Ricky Schroeder, just to make him another sleazy, high-adrenaline lowlife at CTU? He's tough, all right, but honorable, not willing to let Nadia take the fall, even though he was wrong to loudly suspect her and wrong to threaten her in interrogation. Doyle is increasingly shaping up, as the best operative at CTU after Jack. Three, Prez versus Vice President. This is handled very well, too. Wayne Palmer is brought out of a coma at great peril so he can order the strike in the Middle East to stand down, only to be contradicted by VP Daniels, who says Wayne's not in his right mind. You may recall that the Palmer brothers seem ever subject to this claim. David Palmer, the slain president and brother of the current president, Wayne Palmer, got this in his administration too. But this was handled very well tonight as well. Now, other good touches included Milo kissing Nadja. See, I told you Milo was a good guy. And the doc in charge of Wayne's treatment standing up to the growling Daniels ever played just right by Powers Booth with his ticks and his gravelly, basso profundo voice. And as we gear up for next week, we need to check over our shoulders to see what's happening with Jack's father, the condition of former President Logan, and is Audrey really dead? And what more may be happening with Jack and his sister-in-law? Just in case any of those things may have slipped your mind. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Author Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my weekly reviews of 24. Tonight, hour 16. Whew. Tonight's 24 had more jolting twists than just about any episode I can recall this or any season. Now, this season has been criticized by some as using the same old scenarios. The Arab terrorists next door, which started the season, the president challenged on 25th Amendment incompetence charges last week and this week. But, whew, 
the presidential maneuvers took unexpected turns tonight that gave this tired crisis a brand new life. Here's how it happened. It started last week with VP Daniels, played by the gravelly bulldog Powers Booth, refusing to accept Wayne Palmer's return to consciousness and office. Palmer doesn't agree with Daniels' move to nuke an Arab state as a response to the terrorist attacks on our country. So, the cabinet must decide if Palmer is fit to resume presidential authority. In truth, Palmer is still weak. After all, he was just in a coma a few minutes ago. So, he asked the doc to give him a shot of adrenaline. Dangerous, but pretty effective. The cabinet vote is split. That's enough to keep Palmer in power. He can only be knocked out of office if a majority of the cabinet find him incompetent. But Daniels, in a sly, even brilliant move, objects that Karen Hayes, who had resigned and returned, had not been formally reinstated, and therefore her vote should not count. This, by the way, is why I'm always against good people resigning. It's always better to hold on to power so you can do some good. Anyway, the case is now on its way to the Supreme Court, where Daniel's chances are not the greatest, when his assistant, Lisa Miller, played by Invasion's Carrie Matchett, comes to Daniel's with a proposal. This sets us up for the first big surprise. Now, I'd noticed that Lisa had tears in her eyes during the cabinet meeting, it looked to me as if she was upset about Palmer being made to go through this ordeal, but it was hard to know exactly where her loyalties resided. So when she offered to perjure herself to help Daniel's case before the Supreme Court, it certainly didn't seem impossible that she might do that, because it was so hard to tell where she was on this. And possibly she was sincere in her attempt to help Daniel's, though I think she was setting him up. Either way, it turns out Lennox had bugged the VP's office and had a recording of Daniels accepting Lisa's offer to perjure herself. Daniels, faced with exposure, withdraws his case from the Supreme Court. Now, that was too bad on at least one account. It would have been great to see the Supreme Court make it to 24 but at least the country was now in Wayne Palmer's saner hands. Though, Palmer's not well. He needs more adrenaline to keep him going. His doctor, one of my favorite characters on the last few shows, Dr. Welton, played by Jim Holmes, reluctantly agrees to give Palmer another shot only to turn Palmer into an aggressive, well, if not a madman, suddenly concluding that the very nuclear attack he, Palmer, had opposed with Daniels now should go ahead. What irony. Adrenaline allows Palmer to stand up to Daniels, only to turn him into Daniels. And since Palmer has just survived an attempt to remove him, the adrenaline-aggressive president is not likely to be challenged again. Perhaps his sister can talk sense to him and get President Palmer Hyde back to President Palmer Jekyll. Or maybe Doyle, 
who is continuing his development as a very appealing Jack Bauer type. Tough, but with a deep sense of supporting good people in CTU to fight the bad guys. True, Doyle has no access to the president that we know of, but he is becoming a major figure on the show. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Hi, Paul. This is James Harris. Just wanted to say congratulations. Author Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my weekly reviews of 24, Season 6. Tonight, Hour 17. Well, tonight's was the kind of 24 we'd expect to find not in Hour 17, but Hour 24. The main story of the season all wrapped up, only to find Jack and or us pulled into a new story. Except it's not the end of the season. The main story is mostly but by no means completely wrapped up, and the new story Jack is being drawn into is not exactly new, but certainly unfinished. Audrey and the Chinese. Right. The Chinese who kidnapped Jack at the end of last season because of something Jack did, he broke into the Chinese embassy and their ambassador was killed the season before. Now, that's what I call one unusual move in a show that continues to surprise us. In fact, I'd say tonight's episode marks the beginning of a new kind of overarching 24 in which storylines from previous seasons are not just woven into the action, but take center stage themselves. And this is something I don't recall ever seeing on television before. Here's what happened tonight in the now apparently mostly concluding story of the 24 this season. First, Wayne Palmer was convincingly bluffing about nuking the Arab nation. But this does get them to mostly cooperate, which leads, after some fine twists and turns, to Jack finally killing Fayed and getting the nukes. So Los Angeles is apparently okay. Now, that story is mostly wrapped, except... Wayne Palmer's not in great shape at all, and he doesn't want to fade out of office and leave it to Daniels again. And even more important, they're still Jack's father. What happened to him? It's hard to believe we've seen the last of him this day or year. In fact, if Jack's father has anything to do with the Chinese and Audrey. It's a good bet we'll see him again. Hey, we may well even see Audrey's father, the former Secretary of Defense, again too. So the guns are loaded now for an exciting seven hours of television. Doyle is feeling his oats and not exactly following Jack's command without objections. Who knows what condition Wayne will be in in the White House or what Daniels is likely to do or try, even with the goods that Lennox has on him. The only thing I can't quite see is how Jack's daughter, Kim, might figure into this. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see her again, too, especially if Jack's father is still calling some shots. 
If Jack's father's involved, anything is still possible family-wise. Good for 24 for giving us a second, almost brand new mini-season and continuing to reinvent the television narrative. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Hi, honey. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my reviews of 24 Season 6. Tonight, Hour 18. It's often occurred to me uh, over the years that 24 might be an even better show than it is if all the action took place in 8 or 9 rather than 24 hours. Of course, then we'd have to change the name and call the show 8 or 9. But we'd have a leaner, meaner 24. More action, surprises, thrills, less humdrum and blather. Not that 24 currently has much of that. In fact, it's always been more streamlined than just about any other show on TV. But, hey, even something that good can benefit from a little improvement. And the almost ending of the nuclear Arab-Russian terrorist story last week provided just such an opportunity for 24. And it made good on that tonight. I can't recall another episode packed with so much storyline and punch. Jack and Doyle have more than one crucial confrontation. Wayne Palmer stands down VP Daniels only to succumb to a serious stroke. I know a lot of viewers, including me, saw that probably coming, but it was still fine television. Chloe and Morris have some goes at it, too, and when the dust clears, Jack's going it alone once again, with all sides seeming to be against him. Now, the most interesting side for me is Daniels, Vice President Daniels, played by Powers Booth perfectly, and now back in presidential power much more securely than before. It's not 100% clear to me if he's working for himself or the sinister forces that tried to kill Wayne Palmer. And these forces, by the way, may or may not have some connection to Jack's father. And I still think Lisa Miller, that's VP Daniel's assistant, played by Carrie Matchett of Watery Blonde Invasion fame, I still think she has some role in this, which we haven't quite seen as yet. Okay, I'll go out on a limb. I think Lisa is working for the bad guys who tried to kill Wayne. They wanted Daniels in power, but Daniels doesn't know they're behind this. Lisa allowed Lennox to set up Daniels with the taping because at that point, it looked like the recovered Wayne Palmer was finally going to do the right thing, which he did. So there's lots of great material to be resolved, and we haven't even gotten to Jack's rescue of Audrey yet, for which Jack is clearly ready to give his life. And for the first time in the six days or seasons of 24, I think Jack Bauer may genuinely be at some risk. He's already been exiled, turned into a drug addict. In a series that keeps upping the ante, there's not much left to take except his life. Nah, 
They couldn't, wouldn't do that. I hope not. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Hey, this is Jake from NotRightPodcast.com, wishing Paul Levinson and Light on Light Through a happy... I love your show, Paul. You're a great man. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my reviews of 24, Season 6. Tonight, Hour 19. Well, first, I gotta talk about Buchanan. CTU has had some vivid leaders in the days we've seen, all across the spectrum of good and evil, competent and not. Nina was, of course, in a class by herself that first year. Her incredible treachery set the tone for the series. Then George Mason, who seemed a bit of a weakling at first, heroically went down on that plane after being exposed to a fatal dose of radiation in the second season. And Jack had to kill Ryan Chappelle, irritating but by no means ineffective as the head of CTU, in what remains one of the most powerful sequences in the entire run of the series back in the third season. Now, Buchanan, played superbly by James Morrison, brought a strength and confidence and fundamental honesty and decency to the job that none of the other CTU heads had. When Bill Buchanan was in the room, when he spoke, you knew that there was definitely still some hope. So I hated to see him go tonight. Fortunately, he's alive. And I couldn't quite believe that Karen would resolve the situation by firing her husband. I would have liked to see her stand up to Hawk and his federal attorney blackmail. But we may yet see Buchanan return, if not this day, definitely in another. Meanwhile, Jack saved Audrey, and it's a good thing for us that Doyle intervened because he saved Jack. But Audrey's not herself. The Chinese got to her, messed with her mind. Was anyone else thinking Manchurian candidate? And I'm telling you, I don't trust Lisa Miller, played by Invasion's blonde Carrie Matchett. There's something going on in her head, and I'm still thinking she's in league with the people who tried to blow up Wayne Palmer, a group that may or may not include Jack's father. Should be a great remaining five hours. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Author Paul Levinson. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my reviews of 24, Season 6. Tonight, Hour 20. Well, I knew it. I knew Lisa Miller was not to be trusted. First of all, she's played by Carrie Matchett, who last played a woman taken over by some sea creature alien from outer space on Invasion last year. She was perfect and excellent in that role. So I was naturally suspicious as soon as she stepped off the plane with V.P. Daniels, the one and only Powers Booth, on 24 this season. 
I can't remember exactly how many hours ago. And sure enough, she's sleeping with Stargate's Michael Shanks, who's some kind of bad guy giving info to the Russians. Now, I'm still suspecting Jack's father is somehow involved. And now that Lennox and Daniels have Lisa working for them, we should find out soon. Meanwhile, Audrey's catatonic. I'm sorry, but for my money, she always seemed a little catatonic, even in the best of circumstances. Nadja, who has taken over from Buchanan, at first is willing to let some robotic, overweening shrink shock Audrey back to reality, even though the treatment could kill her. Doyle shows he's a good guy. He helps Jack get Audrey away from the shrink, and Audrey is able to give Jack one useful piece of information. But just as things might be getting a tiny bit better, William Devane, former Secretary Heller, Audrey's father, comes into CTU and lays an attitude on Jack. Stay away from my daughter. You're cursed, Jack. Everything you touch winds up dying. Sheesh, doesn't Heller remember that Jack saved his and Audrey's lives two years ago when Jack called Tony and the two shot their way out of a garage or something and saved Heller and Audrey? And didn't Heller make some serious errors last year? You know what? I'll be happy to see Audrey and maybe Heller go too. Jack's sister-in-law, Graham's widow, was in the coming attractions. She's by far the best for Jack, though Kate Warner from Season 2 would be fine, too. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my reviews of 24 Season 6. Tonight, Hour 21. Well, critics have been grumbling about 24 all season, saying they've seen it all before, they're tired of Jack Bauer and his family, they'd rather be watching Heroes on NBC. Well, Taking nothing away from NBC's Heroes, which I think has developed into a great show, but 24 this season, and tonight in particular, still takes second place to no other show on the networks this year. A lot of people thought Milo, played by Eric Balfour, was a mole. I never thought so in the first place, especially after Milo took a bullet to protect Marilyn Bauer. Well, tonight he stepped up again, this time to protect Nadia. And this time, in one of the best worst surprises this season, the bullet killed him. Milo wasn't a mole, but a hero. Meanwhile, back in Washington, Lisa Miller, played by Invasion's cool Carrie Matchett, is certainly not heroic. But she's giving herself to Mark Bishop 
played by Stargate's Michael Shanks, to feed the Russians wrong information. I'm not sure this is going to work, but it's nice to see an affair between two science fiction stars. Now, if they could only work in MacGyver. Back at CTU, true, we've seen it under deadly attack before, but this time it played a little different. And in addition to Milo's sacrifice, we have the floundering relationship of Chloe and Morris as good backdrop. I already said last week that I wouldn't miss Audrey too much, and I didn't. I think Jack and Marilyn have some good chemistry going, and it was good to see Jack mowing down so many bad guys at CTU. When it comes to heroes, no one holds a candle to Jack Bauer. And the last scene with Papa Philip Bauer, well, I saw that coming thanks to James Cromwell's credit at the beginning. Memo to Fox, keep those credits off until the end. But it was still satisfying to see Philip Bauer back. There's unfinished business in the Bauer family, and I'm looking forward to the final three hours. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. Harry Potter and the iPhone. Keys to what's really going on in Lost. Trenchant political commentary. These are some of the things you'll hear me talking about on LightOnLightThrough.com. I'm Paul Levinson, LightOnLightThrough.com. I'm Paul Levinson, and this is Levinson News Clips. And I'm continuing tonight with my reviews of 24, Season 6, or Day 6, Hour 22, and that means that we're up now to the two-hour finale of this season, which we'll see next week, and which, contrary to a lot of unimaginative critics, has been excellent. Now, that's, of course, just my opinion, but understandably, I put a lot of stock in it. Back to tonight's episode. Jack's nephew, at least as far as we know now, Josh Bauer could be more, has become the prime football of the show. Cheng's commandos broke into CTU last week to grab Josh and killed Milo in the process. I was happy to see them mostly wiped out this week in a great scene with Jack breaking loose, Nadja and Morris grappling with bad guys, and Doyle arriving just in time to save at least that part of the day. But Cheng has made off with Josh for delivery to Philip Bauer. Jack gets Josh back, but the Lisa Miller play doesn't work. Lennox and company do get to see her have sex with Michael Bishop on camera, Invasion meets Stargate, and Lennox does get to make Bishop send the Russians false information that the U.S. has recovered the circuit board. But the Russians know the info is bogus, and their President Suvorov, Squeezers are VP Daniels, who suddenly doesn't seem that tough anymore, threatening things that could lead to global war. And then, one last weighty piece for
falls into place that will pit Jack Bauer not against one, but three governments, the Chinese, the Russian, and our own. That last piece is Philip Bauer, Jack's father, who tells Daniels that he'll turn the dangerous circuit board over to the U.S. if E.P. Daniels gives him Josh. And in a fine scene to end tonight's hour, Doyle gets a call from Nadja just as Jack and Josh arrive back at CTU. And Doyle proceeds to take Josh away in a copter over Jack's strenuous objections, Jack's restraint. This helicopter presumably is going to Philip. But here are a couple of things to bear in mind as we think about next week's two-hour finale. Is Doyle really that much of a company man that he'll just turn Josh over to Philip? I'm not so sure. Will Jack really have no other allies at all in this? What about Karen and Buchanan? There was a glimpse of him in the coming attractions. And most of all, what does Philip Bauer really want? His motives have been unclear all season. And they're really no more clear now. As I've said before, I think the pacing of this season has been very different and appealing, not least because so much of Jack's family is involved. I tell you, whatever happens next week, I predict the result will be a Jack Bauer who will never completely go back to the way he was before. I'm Paul Levinson. Stay tuned for my review of the season finale of 24. I'll have it up for you next Monday night within an hour after the finale. Enjoy. Author Paul Levinson. And I'm concluding tonight with my reviews of 24, season 6. Tonight, the two-hour finale, which pretty much played the same as the entire season of 24, a very different kind of pace with a very different kind of surprise ending. In a word, life. Rather than beloved characters dying, as they've been doing since season one and especially in season five with Michelle and Tony dying, everyone lived tonight, or just about everyone, even the main bad guy, though I admit that's more of a hunch than a fact. Let's start with Jack. He lived. Of course he did. In spite of some rumors here and there during the year, there was no way Jack could die and 24 could continue. Doyle lived, though he may have been blinded by the bogus circuit board that blew up in his face. Buchanan lived, and he put in a great swan song in the field. I hope it won't be his last appearance on the show, even though he and Karen are supposed to be retiring to Vermont. Ah, sounds nice. Chloe collapsed, but she'll live, maybe even happily ever after. She learned she's having a baby with Mars. Life. Josh survived, and Philip, well, Jack refrained from shooting his father, 
That's always a mistake if you really want someone dead. And Philip was on that rig that was rocket attacked. But, you know, my philosophy is if you don't see the character shot point blank in the head on television, we may wind up seeing him in another season. Audrey put in a good performance tonight, totally unconscious. All right, that was a cheap shot, I admit it, but as I've said here before, I'm glad to think that Audrey and Jack are finished. And Jack looks out at the sunrise in the end, in what may be the most quiet ending of 24 in its history, and one of the best performances ever by Kiefer Sutherland. But that's okay. We learned a lot about Jack and his family this year. There's something that feels very clean slate now, which means just about anything is possible next year. And so, without meaning to sound too clever about this, I think 24 did indeed manage to surprise us again with a central story that ended well before hour 20, with a second story that ended 30 minutes and still ticking tonight, and with a low-key last scene that greets the dawn. I'm satisfied. It was a good 24 hours. The only thing I wish I could see now is day seven. Tick, tick, tick. Well, I hope you enjoyed these podcast reviews of 24. You can read the blogs at paullevinson.blogspot.com. I'm Paul Levinson. Enjoy. The Light on Light Through Podcast. Author Paul Levinson. And I'm back now. It's the end of 2008, uh, the end of December 2008, to be precise. There was no season seven in 2008, as you know, because of the writer's strike. And in fact, uh, season seven will begin on January 11th, 2009. But there was a superb two-hour special in November last month, Redemption, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that now. It was a very different kind of 24 and a different kind of Jack Bauer. There was no torture except to Jack, and it was done to other good guys by bad guys. There was no CTU. And Jack was a little more thoughtful and deeper than I remember him in the previous seasons of 24. You know, Redemption could almost be the kind of 24 that even Keith Olbermann might like. Nah, probably not. But Hillary Clinton probably would, and I certainly did. Here's the story. Jackson, Africa, in a fictional country, Sangala, being taken over by bloodthirsty rebels whose specialty seems to be training kids, little boys, as soldiers. Back in Washington, D.C., President Daniels still played to despicable but somehow still vulnerable perfection by Powers Booth is about to turn power over to his successor, the first woman president, Allison Taylor. Now, 24, to its credit, was way ahead of the television curve, and in fact, the curve in reality, with David Palmer as the first African-American president. 
But getting back to Daniels, he doesn't want the U.S. to help or get involved in Sangala. Uh, that's what I mean by despicable. Uh, but Taylor does. Unfortunately, Daniels is still in charge for another hour. So, the entire two-hour movie takes place in real time from 3 to 5 p.m. The ticking tableau is as effective as always. And given our upcoming inauguration, the timing is just right, too. And also, as always on 24, there's even more danger in the nation's capital, with John Voigt playing some high-level official who'll do just about anything to keep what he's doing secret. That includes keeping a potentially deadly eye on none other than the president's son, who looks to be maybe in his early 30s and has a pretty hot and somewhat sharp-tongued girlfriend. So Redemption was a good shot of Jack and 24 in and of itself, as well as prelude to the new season which, as I said, begins on January 11th, and will bring Jack back to Washington with Chloe, Tony, oh yeah, and who knows who else. The clock's ticking. And I'll be back with my weekly reviews on the evening of January 11th, 2009, first on my blog, Paul Levinson, blogspot.com, Dot com. You can also reach it by infiniteregress.tv and also with podcasts on Levinson News Clips. So I hope you enjoyed this retrospective and review of the season 6 of 24 plus Redemption. And I hope you come back in 2009 for season 7 of 24. The Light on Light Through Podcast. And that's the sweet music of our promo suite. And you're going to hear promos from Mike Thinks News, the savviest podcast in town. For Sean Farrell's patio book of my first novel, The Silk Code. We're just about out of time. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy. the Mike Thinks podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The Locus award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world witness the wonder of ages past and join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel.
and subscribe today at audiobooks.com. <laughs>